Thank you very much. Um, so it's been said many times, I'm Louise. Um, I'm 46, come from a non-Christian family, um, became a Christian about 20 years ago, um, and moved to Bath about four years ago, and I'll tell you a bit more about how that came about in a second. Um, as you can see, my talk is very dramatically called Fear to Freedom in Three Days, um, <laughs> because it's um, to tell you about what happened while I was at New Wine. But in order for you to really understand kind of the, for the new wine stuff really to make any sense, I need to give you quite a long backstory. So just bear with me and hopefully you'll find that interesting uh, anyway. So I've already mentioned I'm 46. What I didn't mention is that I'm 46, I'm single, I've never been married and I have no children. What that has led to, um, and so as a result of that, I kind of have this financial fear and financial insecurity about being on my own. It's actually not so much about not having enough it's very specifically about being on my own, that if anything happens, you know, in the future when I've come to retire, there's no one else there. If I haven't saved enough, you know, made a good enough plan, there's nobody else. And right now, if I don't have an income, there's no one else to pay the bills. There's no, we'll get through this together. Um, I'm, you know, feel as bit if I'm on my own. So as I say, I've had this financial fear of being on my own. I actually earn a really good salary um, and Despite that, I kind of have recognised that I had this spirit of lack um, and um, scarcity. And even though I do have a good salary, I also have a nice big bath mortgage, like lots of people here. Um, I also have no savings. Um, and I just had to borrow some money from my parents last year to buy a car when mine broke. So again, just to put it in context. I do tithe, so I tithe 10% of my net. So those of you that get confused, your net and your gross. So the net is after they've taken out all of that tax and national insurance and pension and all those sort of things. So it's a much smaller number than the gross. Um, and I have to admit, I'm not a cheerful giver. <laughs> it's tough. You know, I do it because the Bible says I should. You know, I do it out of obligation and I do it because I know it's the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, as I say, I wasn't brought up Christian, so we didn't have this whole everything is from God from growing up and, you know, give a 10% of your pocket money away and all that sort of thing. So, uh, so when I became Christian and then people said to me, it's all from God, you know, he gives you back 90%. I found that quite hard because we'd kind of grown up with the, uh, the ethic that was the world doesn't owe you a living. You know, you work hard and you will get what you deserve. I thought I'd worked hard and I'd got, you know, a good degree and a good, uh, good job, and now I was suddenly being told, actually, everything is from God. So, as I say, me and money, we've had quite a relationship. Um, <laughs> and so, as well as my financial fears linked to my um, singleness, I also recognise that I have a degree of shame that's linked to my singleness. Um, it's clearly not the norm to be single at 46 and not, not to have been married. I know there are people that have perhaps been married and divorced, but to have never been married. Uh, I did a lot of soul searching and have done a lot of soul searching as to how that happened to me. It wasn't the plan for my life. It's not how I thought it would work out. I think I'm reasonably okay looking. So therefore, I decided clearly my, it must be my personality that was lacking. And that's actually harder. <laughs> that was quite difficult. Um, 
I didn't want other people to kind of know that I was questioning myself and got to a stage. I didn't, I, I didn't have self-loathing or anything like that. I've never harmed myself. Um, but I just didn't really like myself. I kind of could see qualities in other people that I actually thought was nicer. One of them being more outgoing. I'm quite introverted. But I wanted to project this image of being kind of successful and being happy. Um, I kind of probably had a fear of failure. So again, I'm trying to project that I'm successful and happy, so therefore don't like to fail at anything, um, and had a fear of um, rejection. So I would generally be quite cautious, be quite careful about what situations I put myself in. I wouldn't put myself in a place where I thought I could fail. I'd only pretty much do things that I thought I could succeed at. Um, and I'd always, as I say, this sort of glass half empty attitude. I would kind of work out what could go wrong with things rather than uh, the glass half full. It also meant that I was quite controlling and had quite a um, perfectionist. I thought I, it was a good thing. I used to kind of be quite proud that I was a perfectionist. So, um, so that's just a couple of things from being, <laughs> from being single. Um, Victoria then, a couple of years ago, um, told me about Brené Brown and her um, amazing, podcast, amazing TED Talk on um, vulnerability. And to be honest, that was kind of a bit of a life-changing moment for me. Um, she talks about the fact that we all need connection. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase her really badly now. But So she talks about us all needing connection. She talks about saying that shame is that fear of um, not belonging. And she says um, that obviously because of the, the pain of not connecting and thinking that we don't belong, we have to try to numb that pain. Um, and you know, you'll probably recognize some of the things that people do to numb that pain. So that'll either be spending, um, eating, or the addictions are kind of the, the normal ones. But she then went on to say that, um, that other people numb through trying to make the uncertain certain and that they try to control. And I was watching this podcast, this TED Talk, and I was suddenly like, hold on, that's me. Um, so to be honest, I had never really acknowledged that I felt any shame. It wasn't something that I really identified with. So, uh, so this was quite an eye-opener for me. She then goes on to say um, that we can't selectively numb. The behaviours that we use in order to protect us from the pain actually also um, prevent us from experiencing the sort of joy and the gratitude and the happiness because they're all the things that either sort of dull down or we keep ourselves um, from even giving them a go. So if anyone does think that they have any issues with shame, I can highly recommend the, um, the TED Talk. It was amazing. And if you don't think you suffer from shame, I highly recommend the TED Talk because, <laughs> because you might. And if not, you might just understand the rest of us just a little bit more. Um, so as a result of that, I kind of was, I would say I was pretty happy day to day. Um, I certainly wasn't depressed. You know, I wasn't miserable. Probably had moments of loneliness, but I was quite introverted. I quite like being on my own anyway. So, um, so I was doing all right. But I would, I would certainly say that I lacked um, joy. And I also, at various times, especially at the beginning of the year, had some pretty disastrous dating experiences that um, just make you, just made me start to think, if I'm not a wife and if I'm not a mother, then kind of what is my purpose? 
you know, I literally just get up, go to work, come home, you know, have friends and family, but kind of, it just seemed as if life was a bit of a, a rat run, to be honest. Um, luckily, I got over that quite quickly. I think it was within one walk I decided that I wasn't going to find my identity in being a wife or a mother, so that was good. And I knew that I needed to, you know, find my identity in being a child of God, but that was still really a kind of head thing. I knew it. I didn't really feel it. Um, so, where have we got to? Okay, so that's kind of my background. <laughs> um, and then just a couple of other bits that are just important is that, I'll say it again, I'm 46 and single, but I very much believe that about six years ago God gave me a promise um, that I would be married, and I believe that promise 100%. Um, I also went to um, the Father Heart course, which again, highly recommend to everybody, um, and was given a word there that, um, that God would be my heavenly husband until I was given an earthly husband. I have to say, at the time, I was a bit like, thanks. It's <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> so, uh, so that's great. Um, <laughs> and then all this is kind of summarised in... This got me to a place, I don't know if you remember, literally right at the beginning of the year, I just did uh, a bit with Mark at the front, and he was saying how iPhones are terrible and they take you away from God. And I said, well, actually, they can be good. Um, and that if I had to put a screensaver on my phone. So every time, how many times you kind of hit your phone to see what the time is or whether you've got a message, every time a verse would come up. And this is the verse that I chose. So more of you, God, less of me. You know, I was really aware that I needed more of God in my life. Um, so, yeah, that's where we were. So that's a bit of a background. And then now there's just another couple of key events that you also need to know about before, <laughs> before the whole new wine thing all makes sense. So as I say, financial insecurity, biggest risk, being made redundant. And about four years ago, the worst thing happens. My job, I was living down in Plymouth, and my job is put at risk. Um, amazingly, what I thought would be my biggest fear, I actually had an amazing piece about it. And people that were non-Christian would say, you're really calm about this. And I'd be like, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. Um, and then, again, don't have time to go into the detail, but by thinking I might go and live in Africa, um, I then decided that I would come and move to Bath because my sister and her husband are here. My nephew was um, one, at a uh, one at the time, and I was seeing him um, once a month, coming up for a weekend and seeing him. And I was just about to have another nephew born, and he lives two hours further up, so again, from Plymouth. That was a long journey. So I decided to move to Bath. Um, my sister was living in Oddown at the time, quite like the Sulis estate, so I thought I would come and rent on the Sulis estate and then uh, look around Bath and decide where to live. I um, obviously needed a job to get me up here, so saw a job. Job was in Devizes. I'd never been to Devizes. Uh, looked on a map, doesn't actually look that far away. It's actually a really long way. So uh, when I came up, I didn't even go to Devizes for my interview. I went to Melksham, which is, again, much closer. So, um, <laughs> so I got this job, rented a house, and uh, started my hour's commute back and forth to Devizes. Um, generally enjoyed the job. All good. Um, about four months in, so I thought it would take me about a year to find a house. 
And then about four months in, we were just in the garden one day and we were talking about the estate. And um, my brother-in-law was kind of like, I think the best road in, uh, on the Sulis estate is Burnt House Road. So we were like, right, let's have a look, see how much houses are on that street then, shall we? And there was a house on there, 295,000. I just sold my house in Plymouth, 160,000. Clearly, houses are very expensive here. So I kind of saved it as you do in right move, and I thought, I'll keep an eye on that, and um, I can see how much it will go for eventually. And as I say, kept an eye on it. And then I'll try and shorten this story. Basically, came down to 285, and then for one day, I drove past. The board had changed for the estate agent. So I thought, oh, let's see how much he's on for now. It was on for 275,000. I'd worked out that I could afford 250,000, that was it. Because again, people that bought houses, 250,000 is the stamp duty threshold. And after that, it cost about an extra 14,000 for the penny over, 250,000. So still a long shot, but I thought you can probably put an offer in for 250,000 on a 275,000 pound house. Um, <laughs> so uh, went for viewing, it was quite, old-fashioned in its um, decor. My sister convinced me in a five-minute conversation that I should put an offer in, um, which I did. Just to say, when I arrived at the house, there's a cross in the window. and go upstairs, there's a, there's a room full of Christian books. Turns out, having a conversation with the chap that he is a Christian, been a missionary, lived in Bath. Um, again, very long story, but it turns out that... Uh, he had another offer from another family for 270,000, but he really felt that God had told him to sell the house to me for 250,000. So it was, it's a, such a confirmation that you're in the right place. You know, God wanted to be here and he's kind of really providing. So that's amazing. And again, amazing, because my house is probably now worth about 350,000, which is incredible. So that's great. We've got a lovely house, driving back and forth to devices. Um, I had quite a bad back anyway, driving for two hours a day, doesn't do that any good. So I ended up a couple of years ago, um, putting my back out, being off work for about seven weeks, um, went back to work. But again, it, my back wasn't really getting better because of the driving. I then had a meeting at the same organisation in Bath that is just opposite Sainsbury's in Oddown, which I hadn't realised <laughs> if that was where it was. So I was suddenly like, this is like 10 minutes walk from my house. So every day, I had to, you know, two minutes into my journey, I drove past this Bain CCG to get to uh, Wiltshire CCG. Oh, it was awful. So I decided this is where I wanted to work. Kept looking out for jobs, Bain CCG. Bain's is really small, so Bain CCG is also really small. Not many opportunities come up. Kept looking out, nothing coming up. There were a couple of jobs that were lower banding. Decided in the end I couldn't take them. And then this job comes up, 12 months of comment on the banding that I'm on. I'm like, ask my current boss, uh, my boss at the time, would she give me a secondment? Um, and she said, no. If you go, you have to quit. So I was like, can I give up the security of a permanent role for this 12-month job that I have no idea what is going to happen at the end of it? And as I've told you, there's no savings. There's no one to pay my mortgage. My mortgage is £900 a month, just to get personal. That's a lot of money. <laughs> um, so I was having this battle, as you do. I really, really wanted to work in Bath. Was this going to be the opportunity? And I walk into church on the Sunday, and um, in the middle of the worship, 
uh, Tim turns around and says, I've had a really weird picture. (laughs) And he gives this description of people packing their bags to go on holiday and then they get to the other end and all the bags are coming off the airport carousel and God says to someone, you have to walk away and leave your bag. You just need to walk away with me. And Howard's like, that's me. I have to walk away from all of my security and take this job and know that God will provide and, uh, and be with me. So that's what I did. Went for the job. Um, thought I'd done a pretty good interview. I interviewed on the Monday. They said we'd know by the middle of the week. Tuesday comes and goes. I don't hear anything. I was like, I think I haven't got the job. I never go for anything I don't get. You know, <laughs> I've never not got a job before. Um, so that was slightly confusing. You start to think clearly they've offered to someone else and they're just kind of waiting to hear what they say. Um, Wednesday also comes and goes. So by now I'm like, definitely someone else has got it and they're now just having to do the ring round of all the other people that didn't get it. And then I get the phone call on Thursday that says, we'd like to offer you the job. <laughs> I was quite, quite surprised. Turns out they had offered it to somebody else and they had turned it down. Who does that? Who goes for an interview on Monday? <laughs> turns it down by Wednesday. Anyway, um, I just think that was really important because, again, I could take no credit for this. I wasn't the best. You know, I wasn't first choice. So I was just like, clearly, this is God. So I did that job, loved it. Really lovely organisation. Um, was there, decided that it's a 12-month job. I wouldn't start worrying until there was three months to go. There's no point worrying in the first nine months. I'm going to do nothing about it. I, can get, I can't look for another job until there's only three months to go. Um, so then three months and one day, I have an interview where I'm working now, which is the same place, for a permanent role. Um, and it was a promotion as well. And so I got that job three months and one day before. So it's just, again, and I, it was an internal post. I was actually the only, only applicant there. So again, God set it up so I couldn't fail. Uh, so, you know, this is my backstory. It's quite, you know, it could stop there, and actually that would probably be enough. But to be honest, I'm here to talk about new wine, and I haven't even got onto that yet. And just one more thing to say before we get there. On the 18th of June, I wrote in my journal, again, cannot recommend journaling enough because otherwise you just miss half of what God has said to you. I wouldn't have remembered this, partly because I really didn't believe it. So God, I just wrote in my journal, I possibly feel God is talking to me about uh, getting more joy through generosity and play. So I've just told you, I'm not generous, and I don't lark around, because clearly that would make me look stupid, and I don't look stupid. So (laughs) I wrote it down and forgot about it. I then went to New Wine. I was meant to be going with a friend. Uh, we were going to go for three days. She, at the last minute, dropped out. Um, I was kind of thinking, do I go beginning of the week, end of the week, beginning of the week, end of the week? And in the end, I told, took the whole week off, so I was like, I'm just going to go for the whole week. Booked it literally just a week before. Artie Kendall was the key speaker. Artie Kendall is awesome. Um, and I'm now going to run you through the week, but I promise. It goes quite quickly. Uh, so Sunday, R.T. Kendall, he was talking about the church that God wants um, and saying that it's a word and spirit church. Um, and he said that uh, being controlling 
limit the Holy Spirit. I'm like, great. (laughs) I then go into, uh, on Monday, again, because I had this generosity thing, I'd started to look look for podcasts about generosity, um, and there was this talk called The Generosity Adventure. I think it sounds exciting. So, um, so I went along to that. John and Debbie Wright did this talk. Gave us seven reasons to give. Um, oh, very good. But there were just a couple of images that kind of really struck me. And they talk about, obviously, the whole 10% and tithing. So 10 apples, one a different color. We'll call it the red apple. Red apple comes forward. And they say that um, as the pressures come in, like the car breaks down, you need to pay the bill, whatever it is, Um, you know, people just take bites out of this apple and basically at the end of the month people end up kicking God in apple core. I just thought that image was just so like, oh, powerful. Um, So yeah, that got to me. They also then talked about like the tight fist and they said, you know, within a tight fist if you're squeezing really hard, if anything, what is in there squeezes out and certainly nothing else is getting in. Um, whereas obviously the more open your hand is, the more open you are to receive as well as you are to give. So two just like really powerful images. They then uh, made an invitation at the end that if they'd, anyone had been convicted um, and wanted to make a commitment to God, they could um, you know, write it on a bit of paper, put it in a box. No one else would see it. It was just between you and God. I'm quite convicted that I needed to pay 10% of my gross a really big number. Um, I've worked that out on my calculator. Get your phone out. Roughly, well, what would that be? And it was £400 a month. It's about 400 I just thought, that's such a lot of money. <laughs> and actually, I couldn't commit. I wasn't prepared to write it down on a bit of paper and put it in a box if I knew that I wasn't going to do it. So I walked out of there feeling pretty bad. Um, anyway, other things happened on Monday. Basically, I went to about five lectures a day, but I'm just telling you about the important ones. <laughs> so go in the uh, Tuesday morning, R.T. Kendall, talking about answer prayer. Why, uh, and basically, his, his key points are that we need to pray in God's will um, and that we get the answer that we're ready for. Again, great talk. At the end, they do um, prayer ministry for unanswered prayer. I walk to the front, this girl comes and prays for me without asking me what my unanswered prayer is. Um, She tells me that she feels that God is saying that I'll get given a key that not everybody gets. Sounds nice. Um, Don't know what that was. (laughs) She then asked me what I was praying for and I say, I'm 46, I'm single, praying for a husband. Um, And then she prays again. And she basically says to me, I feel that God is saying that... uh, that you and your husband, your future husband, have been on separate journeys, that you couldn't have journeyed together, but that you will come together at the right time. And just to add, about 10 years ago, before this promise of marriage, I um, was living down in Plymouth, they had a healing rooms prayer thing down there, and I had been given this picture of, um, of me and my future partner making my way up a mountain and us going separate paths, but getting to the top at the same time. Also then at the Hilton Conference, probably about five years ago, T.D. Jakes, love him, um, was doing this talk on Abraham and Isaac, which is why it was our talk today, our reading today. Um, and he, he talked about how the ram had been held in the thicket. Um, and I just really felt that God was saying, I'm going to hold your husband for you. 
what I'm holding for you, I won't give to anybody else. So, you know, that was quite nice that it tied in with that. Um, also at New Wine, they have this, um, what they call the marketplace. So it play, it's a place that sells books and CDs and all various things. Um, and in there they have some pictures and cards from someone called Hannah Dunnett. I don't know if anyone knows her cards, but they're absolutely lovely. All sort of pictures with scriptures all over them. So I was looking at all these cards on this rack. Um, and they had a wedding card there. And I was like, that's just a really lovely wedding card, isn't it? You know, quite unusual from the ones that you just get in the shop. Um, and I was like, but I don't know anyone that's getting married. So I thought about it a bit more. And I just had this sense, this is where it gets a bit weird, that I needed to buy it for me. I needed to buy it as kind of a belief in the promise and this kind of sort of prophetic um, yeah, gift to myself or something. So, yeah, bought this card, took it home. Going to Artie Kendall on Wednesday morning, and his talk is about generosity and gratitude. You know, when you start to think, is this whole program put together just for me? <laughs> so his message, you know, we tied out of gratitude, and he said that he was quite convicted um, about what God had done to him, you know, one morning, and, you know, he was like, God had said to him, are you grateful? And he was like, yeah. I tell you I'm grateful all the time. Um, and I just kind of thought, am I grateful? Like, yeah, clearly God has been really good to me. I'm really grateful. They then do prayer ministry again about um, tithing. Again, great thing about new wine. Hundreds of people want prayer, and yet they still manage to do it at the end of the sessions. It's fantastic. So clearly I have a problem with tithing. So I, <laughs> I go up to the front. This, girl, this lady prays for me. And I explained to her that um, I struggle with tithing. I particularly struggle with giving to the Church of England. I think it's a really rich church. <laughs> I know that the roofs need mending and all this sort of stuff, but I kind of see it as a bit of an institution that's got lots of money. Um, and I know that we have to pay Tim's salary. But I kind of want other people's money to pay Tim's salary and the electric bills. <laughs> I want my money to save dying children in Africa. Um, and then on top of that, I struggle even more with building projects. So, you know, we have a really big building project on its way. And I just, I can't pay for toilets and iron bars or whatever they are. So, um, so yeah, this girl was, again, quite understanding and prayed about that. Um, and she basically said, I really feel that God's going to bless you in this area. Which I think if you pray for anyone about tithing, that would be a great thing <laughs> to say to them. Um, but yeah, so I was encouraged. But then it started this kind of battle within me that I suddenly realized that I was talking about this fear of being on my own. And yet 100% believe in the promise of getting married. In which case, I wouldn't be on my own. You know, which was the stronger belief. So that was, again, quite hard. In between all the sessions, I used to walk around the site and just try to work this out, because, to be honest, my mind was kind of exploding slightly. Um, later on the Wednesday, we then went into... Um, I went into a session by Chris, Chris Russell um, about faith. So he talked about what does faith look like. Um, and he starts to use this... Well, he does. He uses the, uh, the story. Abraham offers up his son Isaac... Um, and even though it appears 
as if uh, Isaac was kind of the, the promise and this great gift to Abraham. Um, he's being asked to sacrifice him. So it's a test of Abraham's faith, obviously. And it was kind of this test of how much would Abraham trust God to deliver on the promise of a son and of happiness and things like that. And would, Ab- would uh, Abraham be obedient? And then he just made this really key point that I hadn't ever really grasped before, even if I'd been told it. He was saying that faith is not about us. It's actually about God. And I've got this image up just to keep our whole mountain thing going here. So this plank, you know, whether that plank will take my weight as I walk around that mountain, doesn't matter how much I believe it. I could really, really believe it. But if the the plank doesn't have the properties to take my weight, if it's like rotten in the middle, it will not take my weight. Whereas actually it's all about the properties of the plank. So faith is not about us. It's about the properties of God. It's about the character of God. And that was, that was like this light bulb moment for me that, to be honest, I'd never really got before. So then he was saying, you know, if faith is about God, we need to act as if God is enough. And I sat there and realised that with regards to money, I didn't act as if God was enough. I felt that I needed to make these plans and was clearly quite fearful and then had various thought processes. So I suddenly started to think, is money my Isaac? Do I need to sacrifice my money to open the door to marriage or to God blessing me? I know it's not quite that straightforward, but bear with me. And so then I got home that evening, um, and I just, again, slightly weird, had a bit of a, a sense that I should put this wedding card on my bedside table and then put my payslip on top of it, just to make this really sort of obvious, stark choice between was I going to choose my money over relationships or this potential marriage or God blessing me, whatever it was. Um, And as I say, when I looked at it, I was just like, clearly not. Um, So that again, quite a moment. So then on Thursday... I was just mulling everything over. And I think I came to this um, realisation that it wasn't money per se that, that was my Isaac, that it was self-reliance. That obviously I was being self-reliant and not being reliant on God, that I wasn't surrendering everything to God. Um, but clearly that started with money. And so then I started to think, did I believe uh, what the Bible said about God? and had this sort of quick thought about, probably for everyone else, absolutely. Do I believe it for me? (laughs) I'm not sure. Um, I then was like, do I trust God to provide for me? And I look back at the house and the jobs and the promotions, and I'm like, he's done a pretty good job so far. And I sat there and thought, was I really going to ask God to prove himself to me again? And I just thought, I can't. He proved himself enough. And then just to finish that little bit off, in between the evening session or the afternoon session and the evening session, I downloaded a podcast um, from Mark Batterson. Again, awesome guy. Um, (laughs) And it was about the parable, again, it was about generosity. So I downloaded it on purpose. And it was the parable of the the rich young ruler. Um, 
and he said that he hadn't really realized it before, but God doesn't ask for a tithe from the rich young ruler. He asked him to sell all his possessions and uh, give them to the poor and then uh, follow Jesus. And the ruler chooses his money over spending time um, with Jesus. And he said what it highlighted is that God doesn't want our money, um, that what he wants is us, and that uh, he wants us to give, he wants to give us the freedom from our financial fears by the fact that we can trust him to give away our money. And so it just made me realize, if we go to the next picture, that actually my money could be buried in a hole in the ground and I have got my blessing. I have been freed from my financial fear because I know that God will provide. And clearly we hope that our money isn't buried in the ground and more good does come of it. But again, that just whole thing about me wanting my money to do some good and kind of thinking, if I give it to this person or this charity, what are they going to do with it? That's actually not a, that's not a part of it. My freedom is just giving it away and trusting that God will provide with the money that I've got left. And that was just, again, just really releasing for me. Um, so all of this together, I then basically couldn't get home quick enough. So I decided that I was going to increase my tithe and I was going to do 10% of gross. Um, so I got home, I've doubled my tithe to the church and I've committed to giving um, £100 a month to charity. And again, it's quite surprising how much joy. So we just had a talk that night about um, temple prostitutes in India. So that, that night I gave £100 to, to release a woman from temple prostitution. I felt quite good about that. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, as time goes on, there'll be more and more things that I'll be able to like, I made a difference. And actually, I get great joy from that. So, yeah, so just this incredible new level of surrender and trusting God that I, I said, I'd never experienced before. And it was just so freeing from all the fears that I'd previously had. And you'd think that would be enough, wouldn't you? So we're up to Thursday. But actually, God wasn't quite finished. So that was awesome. What I didn't mention, so we go into Friday. And what I didn't mention is that there's actually a verse that is linked to this promise of marriage. And um, I do a daily, daily Bible reading in the morning. And the reading for that day at the top of the page was this verse. And whenever that verse comes up, I'm always like, hmm, let's see, shall we? If uh, <laughs> If anything comes up today, Artie Kendall has actually gone off to, um, to focus by now, so I actually choose something else to go to. So I went to see Joe Vital, who'd actually done a whole week series. I'd missed all of the other sessions that she'd done, um, but went into this one on the Friday. And she was talking about the woman at the well, and you'll know the story. And you know, she basically highlighted that, that um, the woman is fully known and yet fully accepted. Um, and she says, you know, this woman no longer needed to live in shame. Which again, after this week I've been on and the surrender and the trust, you know, just that message of you don't need to live anymore in shame. Um, and she talked about the fact that we don't need to compete in order to be accepted and that we don't need to perfect or control our image for social acceptance. So again, that was really powerful and kind of freed me from some of that shame. 
And then she goes on. She talks about the fact that she'd been to America for a week and she'd talked to this girl. And over the week, they'd been sort of having quite heated debates. The girl wasn't a Christian. Um, And yet, at the end of the week, the girl had apparently said, do you know, I give up. I believe in God. I give up. And and, um, this Joe had said to her, that's great, but actually God doesn't want you to say, I give up. He wants you to say... I do. And I was just blown away. And so she quotes then Isaiah 62. And in my um, contemporary English version, it says, your name will no longer be deserted and childless, but happily married. And I don't know whether that is a, a promise about my heavenly marriage or whether that's just a reinforcement of God will be my husband until I get an earthly husband. And either way, it doesn't matter. It's still blew my mind and so then it was as I say it was an awesome week and I then (laughs) I woke up on the Saturday morning and it was it was actually quite a physical feeling that I suddenly thought yikes if I'm no longer in this and I'm completely reliant on God I better start praying (laughs) so my prayer life has gone up which is good and I just you know I hope that some of this story is encouraging to you that we have an amazing God, a God who knows us, you know, a God we can really trust and a God that really wants to communicate with us. Um, so that's my story and how I went from financial fear and shame to freedom in three days, although, to be honest, it was more like a 20-year journey. That just doesn't make such a good presentation name. <laughs> um, and I have now changed my screensaver to this. So all the time, God is enough. You know, it's a fantastic reminder. So I'm now going to put a challenge out to you. And what's something for you to think about. So what is your Isaac? What is it that you need to surrender in your life to allow God to release his blessings? Does your gratitude, is that reflected in your generosity? And finally, are there parts of your life where you're not acting as if God is enough. I think it's really moving to hear Louise's story, and there's, there's quite a weight of God's word on that to us all. I know when I, when I went back to um, when I went to, to, to hear Louise to share, she wanted to share what she was going to talk about and just check that I was happy with it. I was just like, wow, yeah, more than happy, but also really convicted. You know, so much so that I've gone home and I've changed my tithe as well. Because I just think, you know, God's stirring. And it's not just about the legality or the detail of the tithe. It's about our heart response. But we, you know, God, is God enough? That's the question. And the whole of heaven shouts, yeah. And I want my heart to echo with it. Yeah, yeah, he is enough. So I think, you know, when I heard Louise share, it demanded a response of me. I felt God say that. Yeah, Tim, what about you? (laughs) And maybe you feel that in one way or another tonight. And I'd encourage you to say, okay, well, what does that mean for me, practically, spiritually? And I'd like, um, I'm going to put Louise again on the spot, I'd like her to pray for us. Because I think her journey can become our journey and what she's learned and what she's experienced in our hearts. Uh, is just something that we all need to receive.
So can you pray for us? And then we're going to have a...